guys know me, but uh, sometimes right. people think it's an act. Are we live now? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. We are so excited to have our first chapel of the fall trimester. We have many great things in store. I know God is going to do awesome things through our cohort and our students. And we are getting ready to hear from our Joe Wyrostek. So welcome. Wonderful, wonderful. It's great to be here. I just put up the notes on the website if anybody would like to go and check it out. Today, I want to talk to you about what ministry is and isn't. For those who are just getting this live feed, because I've shared it on various outlets right now, this is basically our Bible college that is based out of California, but has extension sites around the country. And so we're meeting today online, and uh, we just want to welcome you to be with us as we go through our chapel. And today's um, sermon or chapel message is going to be on what ministry is and isn't. As all the students are joining with us today as we start our new year, this is the first chapel of the year, I want to encourage you with what ministry is and isn't. Many of you have already done ministry. Some of you are uh, even leading ministries right now because of your place in the church. And you already know a lot of this, but I want to reiterate it. And especially for our new students, I want you to get an understanding of what it is, what ministry is and isn't, so you're not deceived or discouraged. And then for all of us, even for someone like myself who's been in ministry over 20 years, if I were to look at some of the disappointments that I've faced or the hard times, they, uh, those hard times would generally be categorized with some kind of a misunderstanding between me and God on what ministry is. For example, if I think ministry is about growing a big church and being loved by people, then if my church doesn't grow big and if I'm not loved by everybody, then I'll be discouraged. And over time in ministry, I have noticed that when I'm discouraged, it's generally because I'm not uh, operating on a true sense of what ministry is or isn't. One of my side hobbies is I like to day trade. And one of the things you have to learn when you're trading in that kind of rapid fashion is that the stock that you're trading owes you nothing. And so it's going to do what it's going to do, whether or not you're investing money into it. And just like most of you today are probably not thinking about Tesla or other stocks, and it's doing what it's doing. Those who are investing in places like Tesla, all they're doing is looking at those numbers. And then they feel when it goes up or down that it's personal, you know, that somehow Tesla knows where they bought in at and where they're trying to sell. And so the ups and downs of the stock now become really super personal. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm losing money. Shame on you, Tesla. Well, if we weren't looking at Tesla today, not caring about Tesla, not putting any money in Tesla, Tesla would be doing what it's doing with or without our personal feelings. But now because we're invested in it, now we're watching it as day traders do, and even as those who invest in the long term, as they're watching it, they're you know having to separate their emotions from it. Because if you're simply looking at it from a personal point of view, then when it goes down, you can get really discouraged and, and say, oh man, I made a mistake. And then all of a sudden you're selling your stock. And a few moments later, it's going back up. And, and I've watched people and even myself chasing it going up and down, up and down, because we're looking at it from the wrong angle. And ministry can be very much that same way. Ministry is going to happen with or without us. The Bible's already given us its last chapter. God has told us what's going to happen. There's going to be and Armageddon, there's going to be a judgment, there's going to be a, you know, a revival upon the earth, in time revival, there's going to be signs and wonders and miracles and all of that, and if we are simply looking at it from our own personal vantage point, our wins and losses, our ups and downs, then we may quit and get discouraged just because something didn't go our way, having no idea that in the next few years or months or something, God is going to do things that are beyond even our imagination. And so when we look at ministry, we can't look at it from just our personal feeling standpoint or just what's going on in our ministry, in our part of the world. 
we have to be able to see the big picture and see what God is doing all throughout the earth and what God is doing through our efforts, even in the place where we're at. And, uh, and, and in that time of our suffering, God could be preparing us for great glory to be revealed in the future. And we may not even understand why we're going through what we're going through now, but it's going to make sense later on. Uh, just another example before I get into the points here. When I look back at my early years of ministry and all of the ups and downs that I had to face with people coming and going, I realized that that was a part of God, uh, you know, building up my uh, backbone in the ministry so that I wouldn't be so seeker sensitive, but I would be Holy Spirit sensitive. And, and now it's not that uh, we have thousands, but just the very fact that we have hundreds shows that because I was able to lose the ones and the twos, you know, throughout the discipleship process that I wasn't going to quit or change the vision. Now we're able to host this many disciples and disciple uh, people that make new disciples. But if I would have, say, just judged our discipleship program based on the first couple of years, then I would have missed all of the fruit that God was going to develop in me, uh, to develop uh, in the church through what he was doing in me. So I hope that you can remain encouraged by what ministry is and isn't through your ups and downs so you don't get attached to things that are not really the, the thing you're supposed to be attached to. You stay engrafted and attached to Jesus. So I got the notes up. I'm not going to put them up here in the Zoom, but you guys can follow along online. Number one, ministry is after salvation, not for salvation. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't take ministry serious, but if you ever think that ministry accomplishments are accomplishing something for you in your salvation, you are going to miss out big time on what salvation is and what ministry is. And I know that you're probably thinking to yourself, Pastor, I would never confuse that. It gets confusing, even for people like myself, because I've made mistakes in ministry, and then at those times that I've made mistakes, I've almost felt at that time that God loves me less, that I'm less saved because I made those mistakes in ministry. And on the flip side, somebody might be flippant about ministry and go, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I don't have to do anything uh, for ministry, it's okay if I drop out and am, am irresponsible. Well, they're going to face judgment as a Christian for how they dismissed ministry and sharing in the work of the Lord. Remember, this is the father's business. And so if we don't do that, we're going to have, uh, you know, to give an account to that on judgment day. And the Bible says, uh, we'll see blood on our hands for the souls that we have not seen come to the Lord that we personally were supposed to, to, to witness coming to the Lord, that we'll see our other works burned up because these things were wood, hay, and stubble. And God wanted us to have gold. So say, for example, you're called to ministry, but you go, you know what? I'm just going to do business. I'm just going to do this. And, and you're a good you know, a business person. And you use that money for missions. And you raise your uh, family and, and provide for your family, do great things for your family. Well, the Bible says on judgment day, if that wasn't what he called you to do, all of the work that you did as a businessman will just get burned up. God still used it for his glory. And he gets credit for that, but you don't get it attributed to your account because that wasn't what he wanted you to do. He wanted you to do something else. So there will be real rewards, and I don't want to say punishment on, on Judgment Day for Christian, but there'll be regret, rewards and regret on Judgment Day. So always remember this, that ministry is not for salvation, it's after salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we should always look at salvation as by grace through faith, and that the works we do in ministry comes out of our salvation by that same grace 
through faith and that we're not doing it to earn our salvation. We're doing it because we're saved. We're bringing forth the good fruit of our salvation. We're honoring the Lord with what he's called us to do. We're, we're not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. If God bought us with a price, can't he now spend us on anything he wants? Once again, if I buy a car, can't I use that car for anything I want? I could plant flowers in my car right now if I wanted to, couldn't I? I could go and uh, drive my car in the lake and put it under the water if I want to. When you buy something and you own that something, you can do whatever you want with that. God bought us for a price, the price of Jesus, the blood of the Lord, uh, the lamb slain on the cross. So we've been bought. And then now he can spend us and use us any way that he wants. The beautiful thing is, is that he uses us and he uh, gives us a chance to participate in his glory. He uses us for his glory. He, he gives us the chance to participate in his glory, to share in his glory. Uh, once again, he didn't have to do that, but he willingly, joyfully did that. And so we ought not to ever think that ministry is attached to our salvation. If you make a mistake in ministry, that doesn't mean you're less saved. If people don't like you in ministry, that doesn't mean that God loves you less. If your ministry fails in an earthly sense, like you can't complete that ministry, that doesn't mean that you're a failure in the eyes of God. In heaven's mind, that ministry might have accomplished exactly what it was supposed to do. God may not have wanted it to go on and on and on. He may have just wanted for a time people to be saved or encouraged in this Bible study, life group outreach you were doing. And now you move on. Seasons and reasons. You got to know the seasons and the reasons for those seasons. And what we, we cannot do if we want to have a healthy relationship with the Lord is not confuse what we do for the Lord as based on what the Lord does for us. This is not like I'm doing something for the Lord so that he does more for me. God has already done all for me that I will ever need based on Jesus and the cross. And I receive that by grace through faith. Every good work that I do now as Christ's workmanship is God just working through me. I am not doing good works so that I can be more saved. And so when you look at ministry that way, you can always lay down your head at night and be at peace and know that you're saved. Know that you're loved. Know that you belong to the Father, and it's not based on your performance that day. You have a peace and an understanding of who you are in Christ, and it's not dependent upon whether or not 600 people came to your Easter service. It's based on what Christ did for you. He's already shown you how much you're worth. And so each one of us need to make sure we know that ministry is after salvation not for salvation. The next thing that we need to remember is that ministry is selfless, not selfish. My dad, who was a successful businessman for many years, talked about his uh, lesson learned as he transitioned into full-time ministry. And the first thing that he said he would describe ministry as is inconvenient. <laughs> That's how he described it. He said, as a businessman, I got to set my my schedule, and then I got to plan it accordingly, and then I got to work with the customers based on what fit my schedule best, and if a customer didn't show up, and it was, you know, if we were closed, we were closed, and if a customer, you know, wasn't really getting along with our, our plan for him, we could say it's, it's probably best for you to go somewhere else, but that's not at all what ministry is like, is it? I mean, we are often inconvenienced by ministry, I am always just amazed at how quickly my days can change based on what's going on in ministry. That's why, and I say this to you with all, with all sincerity, never feel guilty for enjoying what God has blessed you with in life while you're doing ministry. For those of you who support our church, you know that I, my wife and I get a salary. That has not changed over the years. It's been basically designated to us since uh, we first started. And finally, over a certain amount of time, we were able to receive that salary. But then I was able to save up and do certain things. And I drove Uber, you know, and I got some, some toys and different things. And people all the time want to make me feel guilty because I have these kinds of things in my life. But you know what? 
who's there with me on the day my child's having a birthday party and I'm having to be upstairs in my bedroom talking to elders or deacons who don't understand uh, their way to live for Jesus, don't know how to be a Christian, and I'm having to spend three hours in some disciplinary meeting. See, nobody talks about that, do they? Nobody talks about me, uh, you know, literally, literally being in Chuck E. Cheese and being told someone has just passed, you know, or being in the grocery store. I was in the grocery store with all of the party favors when I was told one of my good friend's baby just was born stillbirth. Like I'm sitting here holding, you know, the Doritos and the, the drinks here, whatever. And I'm just answering, oh, hey, you know, answering the phone. Hey, what's going on? And there's, you know, they're crying. We, we, we had to come to the hospital. We couldn't feel the baby. Now they say that the baby has died in my womb. I have to pass the baby as a stillbirth. I mean, so ministry is never going to be selfish. It's never going to be. So never uh, think you're owed anything. At the same time, if God wants to provide for you, you know, a way to find rest and peace in the ministry, don't feel guilty, but you have to get this in your mind. You're not owed it. It's not about you. It's not uh, about what you get out of ministry. If, if ministry was only us serving and we never got to have a salary, we never got to have anything nice. We never got to travel to places. We literally just served and even worked jobs so that we could serve without having to be a burden to the ministry. And God's pleased with that. Then we'll hear well done, good and faithful servant. I remember uh, deciding whether or not we as a church would do SUM. That was long before we knew that there was going to be any kind of partnership with SUM and finances where students um, would, would, you know, part of their, uh, what do you call it, their uh, tuition would come back and reimburse the church so we could hire somebody like Lauren. I remember the taking on SUM as another thing to do without there being any, any mindset for us to be compensated for it. It was, okay, well, they're offering us a Bible college and they need, you know, people in the church to volunteer and do X, Y, and Z. It wasn't until later that they said, oh, well, you know what? cohort advisors will be compensated for what they do. Okay, cool. But before I even knew there was a compensation, it was, I'm going to do this. And most of the ministry we do, we're never compensated for, are we? We're never compensated. I tell people this all the time, like me going out on the streets, I'm not compensated for that. I'm not compensated for all these other things. And sometimes people in ministry, they'll just do the least they can do, uh, the least they can get by with. When I was at one church, I was there hired as a youth pastor, and then I realized they had a young adult group, and I said to the young adult group, I went out to lunch with her or dinner or whatever, and I said, you know what? If you let me uh, you know, be over this, I can probably bring this to a whole nother level. Would you want that? And she said, sure. So then we opened it up to a Sunday night service. At that point, it was just like a Bible study meeting throughout the week. We opened it up to a Sunday night service. It kind of had that cafe feel. That was really cool. And uh, so that became another job that I created for myself. I didn't get a bonus. I didn't get a bonus because I was now starting another ministry at that church. They didn't pay me anymore. I just saw a need and I wanted to fill it. I saw a hurt and I wanted to heal it. And then over time, I started seeing these young radicals raise up. And I said, well, what if we start a master's commission for them? It's like an internship. It's not accredited Bible college. It was just something that you would do between, you know, high school and college and help you, to, you know, decide on what you want to do with your life. It was just like a, like a Peace Corps for Christians. And it was popular back then. And I said uh, to the pastor, can I start this? Can I start this master's commission? He said, cool, yeah. He said, yeah, you can do it. And I was like, cool. So I started with about eight to 10 of these students. So, you know, coming there just as a youth pastor, before you know it, I'm doing the young adult ministry on Sunday nights. I'm doing the master's commission throughout the day, the youth ministry and the Bible studies throughout the week as well. And all of that for the same amount of money that I was originally getting paid. And you might think to yourself, most of you, especially listening here, would be like, well, that's, that's normal. We should do whatever God's called us to do and not get paid. But in that world, that was abnormal. How do I know that? Because when I left that church and my friend came to pastor it, I asked him a few months later, 
um, hey man, are you still doing, you know, the young adult ministry? He's like, no, they don't pay me enough, man. I'm not here to do that. They brought me in just for youth ministry. I'll let somebody else do that. I'm telling you the truth, man. And then after a little while, I said, what happened with the master's commission? Uh, it wasn't worth it. We shut it down. Isn't that sad? I mean, because for them, ministry was about just a nine to five, not taking on any extra. If they're paying me for this, that's all I'm here to do. And I'm not saying that people, uh, should, you should let people take advantage of you or wear you out in ministry and burn you out. I do think we should burn up, not burn out. But this idea that many pastors are living with is it's about them. It's about their benefits. It's about nine to five. And that's why so many of them want to quit. I just got another... Um, I just saw this from, from Tom Rainer. Tom Rainer just said that, um, that, that pastors are quitting like they've never quit before, that they're quitting right now like never before because of what's going on with COVID and all of that, because so many people are being discouraged. And so what we have to do is say, well, if we live for self uh, selfishness, are we willing to live off the benefits, uh, uh, you know, off selfishness and, and let that replace our, our love for God. And if we, if, if we do that, then we're going to see how bad the selfishness pays. Our idols will never take care of us like Jesus. A paycheck just won't keep you in ministry. A, um, you know, a nine to five won't have you do this for very long if you have benefits or whatever. But what will keep you through hardships and hard times, will be your love for God, will be the thing that you value most, which is Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. And so when we look at what ministry is, we look at ministry in the context of selflessness. Yes, it may be inconvenient, but it's worth it. We're serving Jesus Christ. We're carrying our cross. Yeah, it may come with some penalties upon our, our, our life, like we may suffer. The, being a Christian may come with, with uh, you know, the penalty of violating the world's standards, and they may look down on you. You may not get all of uh, what, the, what, what the other person gets who's not really going all in for Jesus. You may be suffering. He, he may be getting rewarded by the world, and you may be getting penalized, right? But we do it for God. The next thing that we learn is that ministry is serving others, not being served. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this point, but Matthew chapter 20, verse 24 and onward says that we're not supposed to be like the Gentiles who exercise their authority over people, but we are to be the servant of all. The Bible says that whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to, but to serve and give his life for many. In ministry, if you think it's about others serving you, then you're not going to make it very long. I know some people may see where I'm at at my position, more managerial, where I can come in and say, okay, well, let's fix this. Okay, let's get the maintenance guy to do this. Oh, we need to update this, you know, this thing on the, uh, the announcements. Let's get this person, the administrator to do this. Oh, and the youth pastor, you know, we're going to do this outreach. So the youth pastor does this. So at, at, at some point, you may look at me and go, oh, well, Joe, you, you know, you, you got this church and you have all these servants around you. And it seems like you're kind of giving out these orders. You know, there has to be some kind of order in the church, true. But what, what Jesus is saying here, because even Jesus had that with his disciples, you know, he says, like, I came to serve, son of man came to serve, but then what does he do? He has the disciples sit down, all the people distribute the food. It's not a contradiction. What, what it is, is, is that when we serve, when we serve, we will be given more places of authority in the kingdom of God, but we are to never lose our servant's heart. So how I check my heart and how I always make sure that it's not about me is if so-and-so wasn't the youth pastor, would I do it? Absolutely. If so-and-so wouldn't uh, have the gift of fixing the announcements, would I do it? 
Absolutely. If someone wasn't here to do the maintenance and shovel the snow, would I do it? Yes. And as a pastor, as a pastor, I've done all of those things. Now, not everyone here may be a senior pastor, but at some point you're going to find yourself in the role of having people over you and under you. It's just the way it is. And so if that's where you're at, you have to accept it. I'll have, you know, leaders over me and they're going to be sharing with me what I need to do. And then I'll be a leader to others, but I'm not here. I'm not here for the purpose of being served. It's not my agenda. It's not my will. In other words, we're all here for the will of God. And sometimes God will test that, you know, for pastors, Easter is generally like our biggest service. And I remember oftentimes God would say to me, I want someone else to preach Easter. So Jared would preach the Easter and different things. And it was just God's way of testing my heart. Am I here to build the big church so that I can be the big speaker and all of that? Or am I willing to be a servant even in those ways? Do I have to preach every big service? Who, who says every Easter service, we got to put up the pastor there so he can be like the peacock and be like, here I am on the greatest day of the church. That doesn't mean that at all. What if we're going to have an Easter service, but we're going to have our associate preach? Give him the win. Let him sense what it's like to pastor God's people on that day, because it's not about just the senior pastor, is it? And so often, those of us who forget that it's about serving others, think it's about serving us, then what do we do? We get discouraged when people don't serve us good enough. Once again, that's the reason why so many pastors quit, because these people don't do this for me, and these people don't appreciate me. And there may be a lot of truth in that. That, that pastor may have bad people. They may be acting bad. But if God has called them there to serve bad people, then does that mean he gets to quit and now go try to find another church? They say on average, pastors switch their positions every few years. You know, in denominations like the Assemblies of God, they're always rotating. They say uh, after pastors get higher levels of degree, they want to go to bigger churches to get paid more. I had to learn that, that uh, actually some denominations started forbidding their pastors to actually get doctorates because the pastors who were getting doctorates would use that against the smaller churches they were pastoring to go get hired at bigger churches. And so people in that denomination would see once the pastor got a doctorate, they were like, oh man, he's going to leave us to go to the big church now. Well, having said all of that, if we all just remembered as leaders in ministry that it's about serving others and not being served, we wouldn't be distracted by any of that. Whether people serve us or they don't, whether we have big degrees or small degrees, whether it's a great Sunday or a bad Sunday, we're, we're here because we're called to serve others. The next thing, ministry is God-centered, not man-centered. Once again, sounds obvious, but how easily are we deceived when people don't like us. I mean, at some point we do care about customer reviews, right? Like we do wanna make sure we're getting good feedback from those around us. Like, am I pastoring you well? Am I doing well at preaching on, on Sundays or at the Bible study? You wanna get feedback from the people, but at the very foundation of your ministry, is that man's approval or God's approval? Because we have to be willing to suffer and sometimes suffering looks like people just not getting us. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 1 and onward, 2 Thess, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 and onwards, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. So there was results, positive things happened. We had previously suffered and been mistreated, uh, been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, nor from you or anyone else even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. When we say things are God-centered, not man-centered, that's, that's easy. But what are you going to do when you're looking at some of the biggest givers or the biggest influencers, or influencers in your church 
and they don't like the direction you're going. Are you now going to try to seek their approval? Are you going to have an impure motive? Are you going to try to trick them? Are you going to try to keep them uh, just so that you can have a little bit more of a cushion? Are you going to use flattery with them so you don't offend them, that you're going to cover up what you really believe and what you're going to do? No, you need to be bold and upfront at all times. This is what we're called to do. This is what we're going to do. If God has called you to be with us, then you'll want to do what we're doing. If you don't want to do what we're doing, then may God bring you somewhere else. But this is what we're called to do. And that we're not going to use the flattery of the world to try to get you to do it. We're not going to try to use impure motives to try to manipulate you to do it. We're going to do it because God asked us to do it. And we want you to do it for that same reason. And so we have to make that decision in life that when it comes to ministry, we're God-centered. And we're going to look at what God is doing more than what man is doing. I think we can see that man confirms many things what God is doing, but it's not that, that we're looking for man to give us the ultimate confirmation. We're believing that man is going to be blessed by it, that man is going to receive good things from what we're doing. Absolutely. We want to be aware of that. But what we don't want to do is start to look to them and to their faces and to their expressions as signs of how good we're doing. You know, if I were to look at some of your faces right now as I was preaching, I might get a little bit discouraged and, not th and think I'm not doing good. You know, some of you are a little bit distracted. Some of you are just, you know, just rubbing your head in your face right now, you know, like as if, you know, you're, you're in somewhere else, in your mind somewhere else. That's okay. But you know what? I can't judge what I'm doing based on your expressions. I have to believe that right now what I'm doing is good because God gave me a word and that word is pleasing to him. Like we've said before, the audience of one, God is my first and primary audience. And that as I'm centered around him preaching this word, it will be effective and impactful to those that are open to receive it. Not just to those, you know, who are off into a different headspace right now or, you know, not able to receive it, but for those who are opening their heart and saying, I'm paying attention to this. I want to know what ministry is and isn't. You're going to receive something from this. You'll be guarded from the falls that others have taken because you have prepared yourself for these things that are up ahead. What, what we can oftentimes think of as mentorship is simply someone telling you what pitfalls to avoid. I mean, that's a great way just to see mentorship. It's not the only thing mentorship does, but it's one way to look at it. And good preaching from, from uh, people who have been around for a while is the same thing. Here's how to avoid these things in the future. I was watching a show, uh, Cobra Kai, the reboot of uh, Karate Kid. And, you know, LaRusso, the karate kid, was uh, trying to get some wisdom in a situation. And he went to Mr. Miyagi's gravesite to talk to him, which is kind of silly, but people do that. And after he did, he was uh, reminded of uh, a talk that Mr. Miyagi had with him. And it didn't set in at that age when he first got it, but now he understood it as an adult. And Mr. Miyagi was saying, this is not. Uh, the thing that I'm teaching you, this karate move, this is not just for karate, this is for life. This is for life, you know? And that's what we have to realize when we're learning these things early on in ministry and we're God-centered is that it's not just for this moment, but it's for life. Uh, say, for example, someone leaves your life group and they cause a mess. And then we explain to you, you know, God is with you. Don't get discouraged. These things happen. But if you're not careful, you can look at that and be discouraged and not get the life lesson out of that. And what's the life lesson? The life lesson is people come and people go. If you're trying to build your life group based on a click and people never leaving you, then you'll never be successful as a life group leader. And you'll never be able to multiply and you'll never be able to do all the wonderful things that you can do from a life group. 
because you'll be trying to keep that life group under the power of your control. People will be staying just because you flattered them or manipulated them and it won't have real growth. But, you know, that was your choice if you failed and became that because you didn't want to learn what your leaders were wanting to say, like, hey, be God-centered in that life group. Let God bring those people. And if God sifts them out, that's okay. Now, the next thing that we learn, and I'll move through these quickly, is ministry is character-based, not charisma-based. The old saying goes, your gifts may bring you to your mountaintop, but it's your character that will keep you there. Or another way of saying it is some people have gifts, bring have some people have their gifts, bring them places their character can't keep them. Charisma is another word for gifts. First Timothy chapter three, one through seven, we don't have to read it all, is the characteristics of an elder. It doesn't say an elder there is going to be everybody's friend. It doesn't say an elder is going to be the funny guy. It doesn't say the elder is going to be the one in fashion. It doesn't say the elder is going to be the one that everyone wants to be around. It has nothing to do with that. And this actually encourages me because I don't always feel like, you know, I'm the most fashionable or funniest or whatever, but I'm not in a competition to be an elder at Metro Praise International with, with some, uh, you know, person over here that's trying to be cool. Let God be their judge and whatever they do, that's between them and the Lord. But for here, I know what I have to do to be an elder. This is what I have to do. I have to be above reproach, faithful to my wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness. Well, just think about those few things just right there, right at the beginning. What difference would it make? And I could show you some pastors who are selling fitness stuff right now, and them and their wife are always doing the fitness thing, and they're taking out 10 minutes a day to show you the next exercise, and they've got the cool tats, and they got an earring in and all that. Okay, but let me ask you a question. If that, if that couple is not above reproach, if they've had marital issues, if the man has struggled with alcoholism, and yet he's still in ministry without stepping down and getting things in order, what difference does it make if he's so cool that he can now have a health channel or whatever? I mean, I'm not saying anything necessarily is wrong with that, but I'm just so put off now by pastors always wanting to do secondary things in their ministry, and they look so great at that, but it's really a cover-up for their bad character and ministry. And these things that they are focusing on really aren't the things of what ministry is about. It doesn't matter if I have a side gig that makes money. It doesn't matter if my wife and I are the most fashionable. It doesn't matter if uh, we you know, speak at conferences all over the place or write books. It doesn't matter. What matters is, have I been above reproach? Has my character been right? Have I been faithful to my wife? Am I teaching my children in the things of God the right, you know, am I teaching my children the right things? Those are the kinds of things you want to make sure you keep in your life, not prioritizing all of these other things. I know once again, it's like, well, of course, I don't know anybody who would do that. You know, everybody wants to put God first in ministry. I know it starts off like that, but then you see it over time. And it's so deceiving because people begin to say, well, you know, I've got a reputation to uphold. It's kind of like Cardi B saying, y'all upset that it costs me $10,000 a week to be me, but y'all idolize me. I, I got to do this to keep you guys happy. So it's so, so funny her saying that, but I've heard ministers say things like that. You know, it's like, yeah, you may criticize my shoes. You may criticize this, but you're coming here because this is the kind of person I am. In other words, that's what they're saying. You know, you're, you're coming here because I make you feel good as your idol. And that's why you want me. You want me to be that pastor you can bring your friends to and think I'm cool and all of that. And so we have to teach our people that we're ministering to and leading that it's not about that. It's not about that. What it's about is our character. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's not about my charisma or my, uh, my ability to draw you in or my, my gifts that I have, even spiritual gifts. Well, this one's great at preaching. This one's great at prophesying. This one's great at this. I have been around now long enough to see it doesn't matter how good of a singer you are. It doesn't matter how good of a preacher you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are in teaching. If you don't have your character right, your ministry is not going to be blessed by God in a sustainable way. It will have its time where it still looks like it's flourishing, 
but it won't last very long. It will come down. The next thing is ministry is voluntary, not involuntary. If you keep, uh, you know, saying, well, I don't have a choice. I'm called to ministry. If I could do something else, I would. I even hear pastors talk like that. But, you know, God called me. And so now this is what I'm stuck doing. No, there's a truth to it that we're called and compelled. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9, 17, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so, make, uh, so not make use of my rights. So I may not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Let me say this one more time. And so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Paul was saying that he could charge for the gospel. He could do whatever he wanted to be compensated, but he wanted to give it away for free. And we need to use this same example. If someone wants to give, that's fine. But we're not going to make this a charge. It's free of charge. If someone wants to pay for my book, that's fine but I'm going to make it free for them to read it. If someone wants to give as they come to the conference, that's awesome. But I'm going to make the conference still free. Does everybody get that? And I feel that so often we, uh, we charge people for the gospel, but we do not give it away for free because we feel that unless we charge, they're not going to appreciate it. But Paul didn't say, that I'll know you appreciate what I'm giving you by how much you pay for it. No, Paul said that you'll show your appreciation by how you follow what I'm teaching you. And those in the ministry who say they wish they could do something else, man, that's a broken attitude. They need to get healed from that. I don't wish I could do anything else. Sometimes people say, well, what would you do if you weren't doing ministry? What, would, what kind of occupation would you like to do? I know what they're asking. What they're basically saying is, what other things do you like to do on top of ministry? And that's a good question. And if you can do that, why not do it? You know, well, I'd like to fly planes. Well, I'd like to do that. Paul was a tent maker. You may do stuff like that in ministry. That's fine. But there is a difference between that and saying something like, you know, God has almost forced you into this. And now you're like, I wish I could do something else, but he's called me to this. And now I have to suffer for this. And I'm so depressed. That's not the way God wants it to be. God wants you voluntarily to choose ministry. Somebody might say, well, what about Jonah? Jonah, did he have a choice? Or Paul getting knocked off a horse? They did. Or getting knocked off his animal. I believe it was a donkey. You know, it may look like they didn't have a choice, but they did. After uh, he was swallowed up, Jonah could have remained in a state of rebellion, but he actually did say, you know, I'm willing to go now. I've learned my lesson. And Paul said he wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. So there was a choice, even though God was using those external means to compel them. And I can look at my life and see that God has used those those kind of means, maybe not as extreme, but he's used those kinds of means to compel me, but I still had a choice, and you do too, and God wants you to willingly do it, joyfully do it. What an honor that you and I get to be in the ministry, and then lastly, ministry is spirit-led, not feelings-led. All of these are pretty obvious, right? Now that we've gone through them, this one is even like a simple one, a basic one. Yeah, we're going to be led by the spirit, not our feelings, but what are you going to do? when your feelings are hurt, or you're hurting other people's feelings, or uh, you have to do something that is going to be against the, the uh, safe move. You know, like I, I, I think about Victor Plymeyer in Tibet, going there and being a missionary. And it's like, at some point, you can just imagine, uh, it's, it's a hard ground, people aren't really getting saved. He loses his wife and he has to come back. And at some point you can imagine when he's on the, uh, he's back on his furlough in America and he's deciding whether or not to come back to Tibet. Like he has to weigh that out. Do I want to go back to the place where I've just lost my wife? So while he's on his furlough, he marries again and he goes back out and guess what happens? The second wife dies. Victor Plymeyer, Assembly of God missionary, pioneer missionary to Tibet. 
he loses two wives. And I believe the second wife had a daughter from a previous marriage or his daughter. Can't remember which one, but I believe that he also lost a child out there because of the, the kind of conditions and the way their bodies were introduced to the different diseases and things. I mean, what do you do at that point? I mean, we honestly can be led by our feelings and try to put God's label on it. I think that so often, even in these times, people are talking to themselves, hearing themselves, listening to their own feelings and thinking God is speaking to them. And God is speaking the complete opposite. Not that God wants us to, to like torture ourselves or he just wants us to be in pain all the time, but he wants us to do things for his glory above our feelings. It's like when you're getting trained, you know, and you're wanting to lose weight, the trainer is going to tell you things that you're not feeling at the time. You're literally feeling, I want to stop. I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to lift weights anymore. Just watch Biggest Loser for this kind of an example. These people are crying. They'll cry. They'll go to their knees and just pass out, like almost like they're passing up and go to their knees. They're crying. I can't. I can't. And then what does the trainer do? Comes up next to them and says, yes, you can. I've seen, I see your tears, but you need to wipe away those tears. Get back up and let's go. The Bible says that uh, we, that when we speak, we don't speak in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words. So often people say it's not wise or it's not this or that. That's human wisdom. That's, that's something that the world conjures up, you know, like for some of you in ministry, uh, you know, like a family member might've said to you, you know, we work so hard for you to go to college. We want you to have a career. What in the world is this? Why are you choosing this? Why don't you go to college first, get a career? And then if you want to do ministry, then go and do ministry. But God is saying, no, that's not how it works. Ministry is not something you just add on to your life when everything else is working good. Ministry is something that you put whenever God tells you to put it. And if God calls you to do it now, he tells you to do it now. That's what it is. And if you give up everything for ministry, there's people who have been in professional sports, people who have been in business, millionaires, all of these things who have sold it all, given it all up for ministry. You're not the first. You're not going to be the last. We are to be spirit-led. What is the spiritual reality of the situation? What is God doing in this moment? Because I guarantee you, when we get to heaven and we see how all of these things worked out for his glory, there's not going to be anything wasted. We didn't waste time. We didn't waste our lives. We were being obedient to the call of God. And hearing from the Lord, well done, my good and faithful servant, is going to be worth it. Hearing from the Lord, here are your rewards and the places of blessing I've prepared for you, is going to be worth it. And so let us not be distracted. Let us stay focused on what ministry is and what ministry isn't. In closing, before I close us out in prayer, and then I'll do Q&A as we come off the live feed just for the students here. I appreciate those watching us live here as well. Ministry is after salvation, not for salvation. Never get it twisted. You're not doing this to be saved. You're not doing this to earn more rewards in your salvation. You're doing this to be obedient and whatever rewards come have to do with what God has given you after salvation. This is not adding to your salvation. Ministry is after salvation, not for salvation. Ministry is selfish, excuse me, selfless, not selfish. It's not about us. It's about putting God first in all that we do. And if we do get to enjoy good times in ministry, so be it. But wouldn't it still be worth it if the whole entire thing was just suffering? If we see what it was, if we see what we've accomplished from the perspective of heaven, you know, I think about some of the people who got called in the ministry and it was all suffering. Like you think about Stephen, Stephen's first sermon in ministry, he gets stoned and died. That's it. That's his whole ministry. Think about that. I mean, he might've been one of the disciples who got to walk around with Jesus for a little bit. Chances are he was because he was chosen as a deacon. But even then, just think about it. The first couple of weeks of the church, this brother's getting stoned. It's over for him. Like that was it. He didn't get to become a mega church person. He didn't get to do the book sales, the conferences. 
He preached one message and he goes to be with Jesus. Was it worth it? Absolutely, because it wasn't about him. Ministry is serving others, not being served. We put others before our own needs when it comes to what's best for the, the ministry. It's not what's best for me. It's like, what's best for you? I understand some of you have obligations, so you can't break those obligations, but we're always saying to people, what's best for you? What time can I meet you? When can we do this? Okay, can I help you do this right now? Okay, is this when you need it? Well, if I can't do it, I'll get somebody else to do it. We're there to serve. It's God-centered, not man-centered. We're all about God in this. Not what others think, though we want them to be blessed by it, but we're not striving for their approval. Ministry is character-based, not charisma-based. It's not about all the gifts, talents, or the look that I have as a minister. It's my character. Is my character right? Is your character right? That's the most important thing. Voluntary or involuntary ministry is voluntary. It's about you choosing to do this, not you walking around with your head hanging down going, well, I have to do this. No, you get the joy of doing this and you rebuke anything that comes against you and your joy of serving God in ministry. And lastly, it's spirit-led, not feelings-led. You're doing whatever the spirit says, even if it comes with consequences and things that you're not excited about, you're still doing it because, hey, I know God said to do this. It's worth it in the end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this awesome time to be together. I ask you, Lord, by your power and your grace, that we would all know what ministry is and reject what it isn't. That you would empower us to be faithful to the end, to finish our race, to not get distracted, to not be deceived or discouraged, but to stay focused on that which you've called us to do, to be a fruitful disciple in the vineyard of the Father. And that we would always know and love you and share that love with others. And that we wouldn't uh, be in ministry, discouraged or burned out, but burn up for you. Help us remember these life lessons here today. That they're not just things that we'll have to um, maybe just do a few times in our ministry. But these are foundational lessons that we'll have to remember for all of our years in ministry. So that we uh, can hear you say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, may we hear those words in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Okay, you're going to come off the live feed.